people hear heart conversations, they're like, oh, conversations from the heart, that's cute. But heart is really an acronym, right? So I talk about heart combos. It stands for the five conversations that every relationship dynamic needs to thrive, okay? And those five conversations just form the heart acronym. So they're honest conversations, they're elephant-sized conversations, they're authentic conversations, they're real conversations, and they're transparent conversations. Mm -hmm. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Eddy. And I'm Elisa Morgan. Who are your closest friends? And why are they your closest friends? And what kind of conversations do you have with the people that you are the closest to? Sometimes when we think about friendship, we don't always think about the importance of our conversations, especially the hard conversations and how they can build closeness between us. Yeah. So today we're talking to a friendship expert, Kristen K.B. Newton. She's the creator and founder of Heart Convos, an organization that helps people build authentic relationships through having hard conversations. She's the author of Friend Tips, Volume 1, a book with insights on how to create valuable connections. She's married to Mike Newton, and they have a daughter. We are so excited to talk about friendships with KB Newton on this episode of God Hears Her. Elisa, every time I think that I have gotten really good at something, I learn <laughs> that I still have learning to do. Uh-huh. It's and called life. It's called, it's called life. Yeah, yeah. Girl. Well, that's good. There's grace in that then. I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least you got good company. I'm the same way. <laughs> I'm glad I'm in good company. Yeah. Speaking of good company, I'm so excited mm. to talk with our guest, KB Newton, mm-hmm. who speaks on friendship. And that's one thing that I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm such a good friend. And it's like the moment <laughs> I think I'm a good friend is the moment that I'm like, Oh, I got too confident <laughs> being a good friend. <laughs> KB Newton, welcome to the show. Yeah, we're glad you're oh, here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation today. And that's kind of what you're expert at is conversations, right? That, <laughs> you call them something much cooler. What do you call them? Heart combos. Yeah, <laughs> you know, heart, heart combos. That's cool. I like that. I love that. And I can't wait to dig into what you're currently doing and what's kind of shaped you, though, to this point now. I want to hear about it. Mm. Will you share with our listeners, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Mm-hmm. Maybe where you live now. And how'd you become KB? Just the initials too. Throw that in there too. Okay. 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 So my government name is Kristen. <laughs> just for anybody Your who wants to know. Your government name. My I government like name. That. And the reason why I say government name is because I am a military brat. And so at the age of three, my mom got married and we moved to Japan, uh, England, Germany. Like by the time I was in you know, ending middle school, I had probably seen most of the world that a lot of adults don't get to see. And so military brat, we landed here in Virginia. And so when people ask me where I'm from, I usually say Virginia. Mm. And so but you could say the world. Yeah. I usually say I don't know. <laughs> like, where are you from? I don't know, actually. Um, and so I would say that, you know, because I was in Virginia for high school and went to Virginia Tech, you know, for college, that those 
were very informative years and obviously shaped a lot of me. And so, um, yeah, Virginia is where I'm from. I currently live in Indianapolis, Indiana with my husband, Mike, and our four-year-old, Amari. Um, I would be shocked if she did not find her way down here to where I am (laughs) at some point. Perfect. Perfect. I hope she does. Amari, come. I'm hiding in the corner of a basement currently, but, you know, she might find her way to us. And so, yeah, that's my family. That's where I'm from. And, you know, KB came as a nickname. I am a DJ by profession. And so DJ KB is my name um, as an artist. Ah, It kind of just stuck. And so DJ KB is what most people know me as if they know that I'm a DJ and I can't get rid of it. So KB is what they call me. I love that. I love the inflection of DJ KB. That's fun. I do too. That's fun. Lots of initials. How did you get into becoming a DJ? Were you always interested in music and I mean how did that come to be I do come from a musical family my mom was a jazz singer um, when we were stationed overseas I was in band I was a band kid I played trumpet and drum major my senior year I've never played an organized sport in my life however I am an official DJ for the Indiana Pacers you know the Indiana Pacers so I've been doing that since 2013 and so I am at basketball games all the time like I'm in arenas I'm in arenas all the time Mm -hmm. but I do not play sports. And so, yeah, always just been musical. And DJing really came as a medium to reach inner city kids. Oh, cool. Honestly, I graduated from college, felt the Lord calling me into full-time ministry and went to Roanoke, Virginia to a ministry called Acts 2. And they did two Mm -hmm. things that worked really, really well. Mm -hmm. They would throw a party, a Christmas party, where kids would come to their building. There would be food and games and music. And I mean, you're talking like 100 to 150 kids, like packed in this room. And they would share the gospel with these kids every night. And Mm -hmm. that is how I started DJing because the gentleman that is now my husband, but at the time was not, he was moving to Philadelphia and they were like, somebody's got to keep doing the music for the parties. And I was like, you know, I could figure this out. And then the rest is Amazing. History. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so wait. So you touched on it a little bit. How did you meet your husband? Oh. I met him at this ministry. Okay. He actually hired me. And Ooh. so. Oh. Um, a workplace romance. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Please. <laughs> not at all. No. So my husband is an incredible man, you know, God-fearing man. And my senior year at college was the massacre at Virginia Tech. So mass oh, shooting happens. No. And at that point, you take a look at your life and you're like, what am I doing? What do I feel called to? Why am I still here? Why wasn't I one of the 33 individuals? You know, like all these things. And so you start to reevaluate. Well, he just, again, a series of events orchestrated by God, obviously, like led him to call me. I was kind of the leader of the campus ministry at the time. He was looking for volunteers. I said, well, do you have any full-time positions? And he was like, oh, yeah, we're always looking for full-time staff and you have to raise support. And I was like, what is raising support? It was this whole new thing. And so I ended up being hired to work at that ministry. And he was only there for a year. And he was actually engaged to another woman while I was there. So there was really no interest like at all. He was my boss. We worked together. And Mm -hmm. then he moved. And a year later after just kind of navigating a broken engagement, meeting with his pastor regularly. His pastor, after a year, started asking him some questions about what he would be looking for in a woman that he was interested. And he had these four things that he was looking for. Mm. And every time he talked to him about these four things, he kept saying that I came to mind. Wait, wait, wait. I want to know what the four (laughs) things are. So intentional. Yes, indeed. Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you. I I, I probably, I'm wondering if I'll even remember them. She had to obviously love God. Mm -hmm. They had to be good friends, which is interesting. You know what a man would call a friend and (laughs) like what builds friendship amongst men and what builds friendship amongst women. Yeah, But uh, they had to be good friends. She had to love God. They had to be good friends. She had to treat the people in her life well. Mm. 
and she had to be submitted to the authorities in her life currently. Wow. And so were the, are those are the four things. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Those are good. To this day, every time we tell this story, mm. we laugh because he was like, now, I don't know if Kristen thought that we were good friends, but I thought that we were good friends and that was enough for me to pursue <laughs> her. That's cool. And so, you know, even today, I'm like, Mike, I want to make sure that our connection with one another is mm-hmm. solid, that it is deep and it is meaningful. And we're not just kind of going through the motions, you mm-hmm. know, of being Christians who are married and who are building a family and doing all the things and checking all the boxes, but that we are like yeah. in it. Solid. You get what I mean? And yeah. that we we know one another like intimately and deeply. What I'm hearing underneath this, KB, and boy, you've really got my attention. You're not super old. You're a relatively young woman. You're very intentional. And you're very intentional about connection and relationship, trust, being known. I wonder if you could just for a second also take us back to Virginia Tech because you threw that in there. And I was like, wait, Mm -hmm. you know, you were there then. How have you become this intentional woman of who you are? How has God used the circumstances, your resilience, no doubt, from being a military brat, your mm-hmm. third culture kid stuff of being raised globally? You yeah. know, how has God used that? And you go, I need to be intentional. How's that happened for you? You know, you're right. It feels like that movie Slumdog Millionaire, where <laughs> as he's on this game show, he just so happens to know every single answer because as he reflects on his like life events, they've all kind of led him to this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where no one should know what this is, but he has a, a memory associated <laughs> uh-huh. with that experience. And so now he's like, I know yeah. the answer. And I feel like that's how it's worked for me when mm-hmm. it comes to relationships. My mom got pregnant with me and did not marry my biological father, which I'm thankful that mm-hmm. she didn't just go through the motions of saying, yes, I'll marry you because yeah. we're pregnant, right? right? Because my father has not walked a healthy road. And so- It was just her and I for a long time. I look at my four-year-old daughter and I remember being four years old, having to sit outside of my mother's night classes and just Mm. to know, like, sit here, you know, like, do what you've been told to do. You know, there was no iPads at the time. There were no, like, you know, devices to keep me busy. I just needed to know this is what I'm asking you to do for this amount of time. Do it. So I felt like at a very young age, I was asked to be aware. I was asked to be responsible. Uh I was asked to notice patterns for my safety, Mm -hmm. right? So I just at a very young age, just kind of learned independence. And then like you said, you see different parts of the world and you've learned how to how to adapt, how to really survive in all these different spaces. Yeah. You come back to the States, you're trying to figure out how, to, how do you belong because you're different from all the other kids, right? Yeah. And so you find yourself at a college as a minority, right? There weren't a lot of black students at Virginia Tech when I was there. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out again, where do I fit in? I came to know the Lord. I would say that I started really walking with the Lord in college. And so mm-hmm. There's that part. And so then you hit, I'm senior year, I'm ready to go. I'm looking forward to my future. I'm waiting to hear back from these grad schools and this massacre happens. Mm -hmm. And it just shocks you. It is the biggest disruption you can Mm -hmm. ever experience in your entire life. Mm -hmm. And disruptions are opportunities. And most people don't see disruptions as opportunities. But if you see it as an opportunity, it really can reset you. So I found myself on a certain course. I had a certain trajectory in my mind for what was going to come next. And when this disruption happened, I was like, I need to reevaluate my why. Now, did I call it my why? Mm-hmm. As a senior at college, no. Yeah. But that's essentially what it was. Yeah. I was trying to reevaluate, like, why am I here? What have I really been created to do? What am I passionate about? Because if life is this fleeting, if life is this short, I don't want to waste any time doing something just because someone told me I should do it or because of a check or be- like, I want to do what I'm super passionate about. And at that moment, 
I realized like strip it all away. I'm not made for corporate America. I want to do life in relationship mm-hmm. with other people. So I became a missionary in the inner city and that's where mm. it all started. Mm. Thank you for unpacking that. And all of us have disruptions, whether yeah. or not, God forbid, they're a school shooting, but we have disruptions. And I love what you just said. You know, disruptions are our time to stop and re-examine. Mm-hmm. And thank you. Thanks. Thanks for taking us through that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to, and to reset their opportunities to reset. When we do experience a disruption in our life, even just the last few years that we've all experienced, it's such a disruption to our rhythm, our routine, the way that we connect. But it does show what matters to us and what we want to be more intentional on and about. And that's just, it's so beautiful that, you know, and what was extremely painful to experience how God has worked that in you to be able to connect and create connections amongst people and learn how to have authentic relationships and friendships. And I mean, what you do now with Heart Convos and your book, uh, Friend Tip, right? Volume one, mm-hmm. which I'm yeah, like, friend tips, volume one. When's volume two coming out? I saw there was a volume and I was like, okay, I want to know the next volume. Um, I think it's so neat how God has just used what you've come from and created the woman that you are now. So I want to dig into friendships and authentic relationships because mm-hmm. there was something that you put on social that I was like, oh, I want to know this question. And it's, <laughs> what are three of the hardest things to say in friendship? Well, first off, how did you get to that? And then like, what is that? (laughs) Well, let me just say to that specific question, because it was a reel that I did that I thought was extremely funny. And, you know, I'm kind of just mouthing the words, you know, underneath what this man is saying. He says the three hardest things for most people to say are I need help. Mm. I was wrong. And Worcestershire Worcestershire sauce. (laughs) (laughs) You just proved it. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was the funniest thing and so i use it as just kind of a kind of a leading awesome. you know for people yeah like what are the three hardest things to say in friendship it's like <laughs> i need help i was wrong and worse uh, <laughs> why did they call um, it that yeah listen i don't even i don't know um but when i think about you know heart combos and friendship and all of the things mm-hmm. i i struggled with friendship for a really long time mm-hmm. and some of that has to do with my experience and my in the narrative that I was telling mm-hmm. myself that felt very real to me for a long time and it's no longer real to me now, but I allowed my life to kind of be dictated by these two narratives. And the first one was that people can leave for any other reason than they just want to. Mm. Like people can leave, they don't need a reason. And I felt that way about my biological father, mm. that before I was even born, you know, you opted out. And my husband's on staff with Young Life. We do a lot of work with teens in the inner city, teen moms, and then those fathers. And I admire their effort sometimes to get in there and like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then they are like, I can't do this because it's just such a heavy load. And I can empathize with that because it's like you got in there and it was heavier than you thought it was going to be. And yeah. I'm not I'm not justifying you leaving. And I'm not saying you should leave mm-hmm. as much as I get that because I couldn't for a long time connect the dots for why my dad left before I even gave him a reason to mm-hmm. leave is what I felt like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first big story that I started to believe. The second big story was that nothing lasts forever. And that was really just as a result of being the military brat. Like, hey, this is going to be what it is for three years, maybe four. And that was in your life, was that you had to Yeah, we're just going to transition. Yeah, I had to reset every three years. And 
it almost is like a, a clock to this day still goes off in me and says, it's time to do something different. It's time to switch things up. And so naturally, if you just take those two narratives, what kind of friend do you think I was? Mm-hmm. I was a very flaky friend. I was very inconsistent. I was kind of present when I was present, but when I wasn't, I wasn't, mm-hmm. right? I think now in 2022, they call it ghosting, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you're ghosting right. people, you're mm-hmm. you're canceling people. Like that, I just kind of did that. If it was convenient mm-hmm. and it worked, great. If it didn't, great. If you wanted to leave, bye. Like it, it just wasn't, it wasn't good. And, and I really didn't have the tools to cultivate deep, meaningful connections with people. And I just did life on the surface. I'm extremely outgoing, extroverted, but I was hiding in plain sight mm-hmm. and did not really feel known by others. And so that is when like the discontent that was happening in that three years just like launched me into a space of like, I need more. I want more. I'm not going to be able to walk with Jesus if I don't figure this relationship bit out, right? Yeah. Because my relationship with God, yes, is my relationship with God. But if he's left me here on this earth and didn't take me to be with them, I'm like, he wants me to do life with other people. And I got to figure out how to do this yeah. in a way that is significant and that is a reflection of the gospel. And I don't want to be walking in fear and worried every two seconds if if I open up my, my heart and I become vulnerable, if this is going to go south. Like I just, I needed to figure it out. And that was really the catalyst for learning how to have a heart conversation Mm. and also pursuing deep, meaningful connection in my friendships with other people. Mm. That's so beautiful, KB. And so I want to know, like, in that time, I would imagine you were presented an opportunity to ask for help, which is hard to do. Did you ask for help or did you just do it? Okay. And what was that journey like? And who was it? And how did you learn to trust? Or That's good. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. I wish I could have said that it just came to me one day and I did it. No. After the shooting, I had the opportunity to go work at a Christian sports camp, not to do anything athletic, but I was was (laughs) brought on staff to to work at this Christian sports camp called Summer's Best Two Weeks City Kids. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the culture at this camp was the most vulnerable, transparent, like, accepting culture that I had ever experienced in my life. And and again, at, at the beginning, I didn't see it. But what really opened my eyes was they used to do this thing every morning called morning hugs where the men's staff and the, the male staff and the female staff would hug each other, you know, separately. Like all the guys would hug each other every morning and just say, hey, good morning. Like, Aww. how are you doing? Like, and these aren't just like awkward church side hugs. These are like, bring it in, yeah. you know, kind of hug. <laughs> and so I'm like, I have to hug 20 women every day for the next two months. Hmm. This is going to be something. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. like physically in my body, I was uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they could tell mm-hmm. like she's cool and it just seems fine. It's, she's not so socially awkward or anything, but she is really like averse to this hugging thing, right? I'm literally like guarded in these hugs. Mm-hmm. And what I realized by the end of that time is that that was how I was living my life. Mm-hmm. I was walking around guarded. And anytime anybody tried to get close, I would tense up and I would, you know, my my guard would go up. I would shut down. I would try to pull away. I I could not open my arms completely because when you get a good hug and you give a good (laughs) hug, I mean, you are fully exposed. I mean, arms are wide open. The core of who you are is just there. Mm -hmm. And there were people who were waiting to embrace me Mm. and to accept me and to welcome me in, Mm. right? To deep, meaningful connection and community. But again, I had my arms, my shoulders were up. You know, you know it. Your shoulders go up Mm -hmm. to your ears, your arms close. You're like, (laughs) I don't want to do this, Mm -hmm. right? 
after that, I committed. That was the moment for me where I, I asked for help. I said, I need this in my life moving forward. I don't want this just to be a moment because mm-hmm. we all have those. We go to an event or a conference or have this great experience. And it's like, if this could just be my life, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that sure. would be awesome. I could do it then, yeah. <laughs> and the director of that camp, his name is Timotheus Pope, his wife, Kendra. Um, they both said to me, they said, oh, this is absolutely possible mm-hmm. for you. And that for me was the first time that there was hope in my ability to live freely in my relationship with God, in my relationship with others. Hmm. When we come back, KB will explain the meaning behind the acronym for Heart Convos and how we can use it to deepen our friendships and have the hard conversations as well. That's after the break on God Hears Her. God Loves Her is the newest book in our God Hears Her series. You know, we all just want to be reminded that we are loved. And in this devotional, women writers share personal stories about God's love that is unconditional. Not only can you receive love from Him, but you'll want to share it with others. God Loves Her is perfect to take on the go or to curl up with in your favorite spot at home. Get one for yourself and share with a friend who can use a special reminder of God's love. Go to godlovesher.org to order. That's godlovesher.org. Now back to the show. I know there are people listening who are going, this is exactly me. And they're probably not sure who to ask for help from or what it is they really even need help with. For sure. But I I know there are people listening who are going, I want so much more than Mm -hmm. what I have, and yet Mm -hmm. I'm terrified. Mm -hmm. What do you want to say to them, KB? I mean, how do we take our baby steps towards real, authentic relationship? Ooh, that's a loaded question. But the first step is the belief that it is possible. So like what you just described there, this Bam, it's possible. The hope. It it has to be possible. Here's what's true about people. We will never consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with our beliefs. That's right. We won't, we can't do it. Now, and you can see that in just people's resolutions, right? You make a resolution at the top of the year because you feel good, it's the time to do it. Everybody's motivated and it's like everything's high and you you feel that bit of like, oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And then you go to do it. And then at some point you get down the line and you're not doing it anymore or you are doing it and then you start to sabotage what you're doing. Why? Because you don't really have the belief embedded in your subconscious that this is who you are, how you are and why you are, right? And so until we change the belief part, going through the motions to do anything, you know, is not going to last. And I think when I first became a Christian, I was first led into a behavior change before I was led into that soul change. You get what I mean? Like my mind, my will, and my emotions, being in the habit of submitting them to God every day to understanding like how God has wired me, who, how he has uniquely shaped me, what I felt like I had to do. I'm like, oh, I am not the natural description of what people would coin as the godly Christian woman. Mm -hmm. Like my temperament is a little too 
um, brash. I'm a little too direct. I fill up a lot of space when I walk into a room. You get what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I have a lot of talent, a lot of gifts, and I'm and they are on display often, and all these. This things. is a whole other conversation and about what is a whole another conversation. What does a gentle right. and quiet spirit really mean? Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's go. Right. Let's Correct. go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I just thought I was like, oh, I have got to fall into a certain kind of mold. Mm-hmm. I have got to start doing mm-hmm. a certain kind of thing, without really like allowing the truth of the gospel to start just completely transforming every bit of me. Mm -hmm. You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And me completely immersing myself into the truth of the scriptures, who Jesus is, Mm -hmm. what he has to say. You start kind of just falling into these ways of being and these rituals and certain doctrines and ways of thinking and patterns of, you know, belief and all these Mm -hmm. kinds of things. And Mm so first step for you, if you're at that place, you've got to believe that it's possible. You have to believe that as far as God is concerned, you were made for deep, meaningful connection. You were made for deep, meaningful connection with him, yeah. right? And then with others, period. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, especially in you know the black uh, church context, will say, you know, there's a song that is really popular that says, as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. And I hate that song <laughs> um, because <laughs> what I think it does is it perpetuates this lie yeah. that my relationship with God is all I need. It is. But it isn't (laughs) because literally Jesus says that everything that we believe hinges on two major things. And that is the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. But then this other part that I think falls short, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. So again, it was like, well, it shouldn't matter. It's all about like, you know, you see people falling away from the faith or a leader, Mm -hmm. you know, like does something, he falls from grace or, or somebody, you know disappoint you or whatever. And it's like, we know it doesn't matter because I'm, you know, God is consistent and God is the same. And and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. Like the way that Jesus has set it up and even God set it up in the beginning that one, it's not good for man to be alone. Period. That's not a a promo or an ad for marriage, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it's you know, like it's ain't good, right? It's not it's not just a talking point for marriage. We need relationship with God and relationship with other people. Now when Mm -hmm. we die and go to heaven, Oh, you talking holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like if if we get to heaven and God's not there, I don't want to go, right? <laughs> it's all about God. You know what I'm saying? Like when we get there. But while we're here on earth, there is a level of community that I think we've been called to mm-hmm. as Christians that we don't esteem. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, again, I can get on so many tangents from here, but I would just say that, again, that first part has to be like, this is God's design. Connection mm-hmm. is God's design for me and not just connection on a shallow level but on at the deepest level and not just in my marriage mm-hmm. right and not just in my romantic relationships but in my friendships yeah that's good kb what do you feel like are some things that create division in friendship mm. that maybe you've experienced or you've observed where you're just like gosh the enemy's winning there you know mm. yes what are some things that you've seen when trust is broken that will ruin a friendship mm-hmm. That's a tough one to come back from. That's tough. Absolutely. Here's what I, you know, what I know is true about trust. People think that trust is, because trust is broken in one big moment, they think that it's built in one big moment. Mm. And really, trust is built in a lot of little moments stacked on top of one another. That's good. And it's just the daily like, I saw you be honest with me here. Mm. You called and asked how I was doing there. Mm-hmm. You showed your concern. You were patient with me here. You forfeited a right here. You made me laugh here. Like all of those things are building trust. But it only takes one big moment 
to knock all of those Jenga, Jenga blocks down, yeah. it feels like, right? It yeah. does, yeah. And so trust, I think, is a huge one. I think what a lack of heart conversations is one. And, you know, I'll explain what that is because people hear heart conversations. They're like, oh, conversations from the heart. That's cute. But heart is really an acronym, right? So I talk about heart combos. It stands for the five conversations that every relationship dynamic needs to thrive. Okay. And those five conversations just form the heart acronym. So they're honest conversations. They're elephant sized conversations. They're authentic conversations. They're real conversations and they're transparent conversations. Mm. So when we break down all five of them, an honest conversation is a conversation where you're being truthful. There's no deceit, right? If you ask me, hey, do you want to hang out tonight? And I don't, I'm honest about that. (laughs) I (laughs) love that. That's true. It's like I feel the the freedom in the relationship (laughs) to just say, no, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, or I don't want to go. I don't even have to have a reason. Yeah. I don't want to go. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That honesty is a Jenga cube, right? In the trust tower being built. Mm-hmm. So honesty, elephant sized conversations can go one or two ways. It can be addressing an elephant in the room, right? Just talking about the thing that is stinking up the place right now mm-hmm. that nobody wants to, nobody wants to talk about. Or it could be the the conversation that is a big, heavy conversation. So those are conversations about our traumas, about our fears, mm-hmm. about maybe you know boundaries or expectations that we have, right? An authentic conversation is the conversation where you feel the freedom to show up as your most authentic self. You're not trying to be who I want you to be or who you think that I want you to be. You're not pretending to be someone that you're not. You are showing up as your most authentic self in this space. A real conversation is not about being real. It's about addressing real issues in real time. And if you're married, you know what this means. That means that you're having the conversation today about the dishes in the sink that eventually turns into the conversation about what you never do. And three months ago, <laughs> three months ago, this happened. Yeah. And I didn't say anything then, but I'm saying it now. Like, it's yeah. like, hey, we, yeah. like today, let's just talk about the real issue right now. Because yeah. those conversations really give us the chance of actually changing this relationship. That's <laughs> like growing totally. it. That's right. yeah. true. Um, mm-hmm. In real yeah. time, in real t- when yeah. you do that, it really does protect the relationship down the road from that three oh, months moment. Absolutely. It, it's a protection for you to be in the habit of keeping short accounts at one another, mm-hmm. right? You don't have this long ledger of like right. <laughs> offenses. But not just that, you know, if you think about the last couple years and the tension with race and even conversations now around COVID, like those are real conversations in real time that oftentimes people don't want to talk about. Like they're like, well, is this an issue right now? This is the issue right now, so we have to talk about Mm -hmm. it. Now you might not be in the habit of talking about it. You might not want to talk about it. You might not be used to talking about it. But if this is the pressing issue right now against the church or against, or for me right now, then please make space for it, mm-hmm. right? To have this real conversation. Yeah. Okay. Um, the last one is the transparent conversation. And that's really just when you allow people to see through to the things that they wouldn't see unless you show them. So a lot of people think that the quality of a relationship is measured on what the other person can just know about you. Mm-hmm. Oh, they just know like my expectations or they just know. <laughs> my ba- and I'm like, yeah, that's the perfect setup for <laughs> a mind read. Yeah. For, for disappointment. Yeah. Right. It's like, no, like you have got to be honest. You have got to be transparent and let people see through to that. This is the things that they can't see. And that's, right? that's a real so. pitfall because we expect people to be able to know us we if do. they really exactly. know us. And that's impossible. Right. Yeah. And then we punish them and the, if they yeah. don't meet those expectations uh, yeah. or the Correct. knowledge. Yeah. And then we just yeah. punish them and then it's about us. <laughs> yes. So those are those are the two things. If you're not having heart conversations, that will ruin any mm-hmm. friendship. One more question on this. Say you really want to have a heart convo with a certain person and you want to have that kind of real relationship, mm-hmm. but they never do their work. Mm-hmm. And 
and you know you're doing the H E A R T, mm-hmm. and they're doing the H and the T, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> or something. What do you do? do? Do you suggest we walk away, or do you suggest we have a real conversation about it, or what do you suggest? Oh, that's a great question, and um, the answer is not a simple one. I wish that I could say it's one plus one equals two. And if they're not given the one, <laughs> then it ain't two. Yeah. And, you know, that's yeah. it. But we know that relationships are, are nuanced and that nothing mm. works like that. Right. And so I always say yes, no, both and. Mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> I like that. Yes, no, both and, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. because it could be all of the things. Right. I will say this, that every relationship is not created equal. And people should understand that. And I teach this thing called the five levels of connection or also known as the friendship tiers is what I call them. I love that. Okay. And I explain that, you know, in friendship, there are five levels of connection. You've got connection with strangers, acquaintances, compatriots, comrades, and then your inner circle. And if you think of it like an ice cream cone, like it's wider at the top and it's smaller at the bottom, right? You always will know more strangers than you have in your inner circle. Your inner circle might have two or three people mm-hmm. in it, right? But you can know countless strangers. According to social media, you've got 4,000 strangers in your life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? That you call friends, you know? And so you've got strangers, acquaintances, compatriots, comrades, and then your inner circle down there at the bottom. And they all get smaller the deeper you go in relationship with folks. And so the question becomes, well, what am I building a relationship or friendship around with a stranger? It's information. Essentially, that's why they're a stranger, because you have no information about them. But when you start getting information about someone and you find out, oh, I'm from here too, or oh, like I knew someone who had a son who was in the Columbine shooting, or oh, I'm married, oh, I'm married, you're married, oh, you have kids, I have kids, oh, you just had a baby, I just had a baby. Like, you get what I mean? That creates an account for you, right, to decide, do I want to move to the level of acquaintance with someone because at an acquaintance level, we share the same investments. Right. Mm. So those are the things that as I'm gaining information about you, I'm realizing, oh, we have a lot of things in common and we're both doing this. Are you, oh, you go to this gym, I go to this gym. Okay, we're invested in the same things. Mm-hmm. We have something deeper to build upon. Yeah. Okay. Then you take that relationship and you decide to invest in it. Well, the way that that relationship grows into a compatriot relationship is if you're garnering interest off the relationship. So it's not just that we're doing the same things, but we're receiving the same benefit from the things that we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And so then the relationship goes the same. I tell you this now, one of the reasons why a lot of transitions break friendships mm-hmm. is because you were building your relationship on what you were both invested in. Mm. And when you're no longer both invested in that thing, you don't know where to go from here, Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, so it's you're like we're working out together it. and you quit the gym or something, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct, okay. or you were in college yeah. Yeah. and now totally. you're not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, or you were both single and you're that not. That too. We both had investments in our single journey together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. We're yeah. not on the same journey anymore. And so that, for some people, it equals to them, we can't do life. I now need married friends, right? I right. now need people in this state. It literally could just be because we're in the same place, right? But then when I move, because I don't know what's going on in your world, I feel like I have to leave. Well, again, what you're getting from the relationship, if that is similar, Right. We're not just going to the gym because we're trying to be cute for our class reunion. We're going to the gym because we both value health. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're predisposed diabetics, whatever. It's like we have something deeper to connect on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But then every relationship goes from what I call shallow to deep when you hit that comrade space. Mm-hmm. Comrade space says that we share the same intent. Mm. Yeah. So our why is the same. Yeah. So whether we're doing the same thing or not, whether I've talked to you in two months or not, when we get back together, we pick back up where we started because 
our why is the same. Yeah. Right. And we learned that in our season together. And then you've got that inner circle where we share intimacy. And those are the five eyes. That's awesome. Like an intimacy. That's very helpful. Intimacy is not to be confused with sex. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Intimacy is when you allow someone to see into you. So it's like into me see. That is intimacy. Yeah. Right. So those are the five levels of connection. And I think that right there helps you to understand back to your question. Mm-hmm. How do you have a conversation with someone who's not communicating at the same level or degree that I am. Mm -hmm. It could be Mm -hmm. because as far as they're concerned, you are or are not an inner circle relationship or you are or not a comrade or you are or not an acquaintance. They might not feel like they owe it to that relationship. They might not know how to go deep in that way. A lot of people really built their entire lives off those first three that I talked about. They don't even know what comrade or inner circle intimacy looks like. Right. You know, I have two things. One, where can somebody find that if they want to See, dig see that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they mm-hmm. want to dig deeper into that. You can go to heartcombos.com forward slash social. Okay. It's a great starting block. And then from there, you know, there's so many other ways that you can really start diving into this work. There are challenges. I have a membership. I have all kinds of things. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. Okay, then my other question is more selfish. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced enough life to have friends that go through seasons and trials and know the ones that you know, we're, we're speaking the same language. And then there's friendships that I'm like, we are on to completely different expectations and lack of boundaries. And when you do come to a point where you know what depth is and you know the friendships that you cannot talk to for two months and it's like, oh my gosh, we can reconnect and there's no like anger, animosity or where have you been or, you know, s- stuff like that. Or you don't get easily offended. I guess, I don't know if that's a harsh way to say it, but it feels that way anyways. But I'm recognizing there are some friendships that I've had where they're easily offended by the lack of what they see of an investment that I have in the relationship because we're in different seasons of life. You know, I'm 34, they might be 24, but they think that we're on the same space. How do you communicate that person may not be in the same depth? that they hope that you will become in their life. So let's talk about friendship and boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that scenario is more common mm-hmm. I think it is in too. so many people's spaces. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is because going back to those friendship tiers, people typically don't have all five. Mostly they're just kind of functioning in the acquaintance and the inner circle. So we're either close or we're not. And I think Western way of thinking, we're very goal-oriented people, finish line people, kind of like, you know, I want the result kind of people. So you're either really close to me and then there's everybody else, right? We have the very binary view for a lot of things. Whereas if you think about it from an Eastern way of thinking, there's this understanding that relationships aren't as black and white. Things ebb and flow. You can absolutely be in a relationship that feels meaningful, but that is not deep. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely have a deep relationship that isn't meaningful. And people are like, what are you talking yeah. about? Like, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. And I do this thing where I teach these four quadrants. You think about it as like these axes, right, mm-hmm. that exist. And you do have relationships that are shallow and not meaningful. Mm-hmm. But you have relationships that are meaningful and shallow. And then you have relationships that are deep and not meaningful, mm-hmm. right? And then you have relationships that are deep and meaningful. Yeah. And so That's good. when you understand that, you know, people are like, well, what does that even mean? Well, again, the person who was standing behind you in Starbucks is not deep or meaningful, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it's like it, they're not meaningful. Uh, it could have been 10 other people and it wouldn't have mattered to you that mm-hmm. day, right? It's the same thing, your doctor, your nurse, that is a meaningful relationship, but it's not deep. I mean, unless you're going through like 
some illness, some like crazy illness, like whether it's one nurse or another nurse that cleans your teeth that day, <laughs> this is significant to me. It matters, but it's not deep. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then you think about relationships that are deep and not meaningful. Somebody you did a missions trip with mm-hmm. and you guys got close really, really quickly. Right. And like, this is a deep relationship. But if I talk to you this month or next month or in three months, it doesn't really matter. Right. When we connect, we will pick up where we left off. Mm-hmm. And then you have those deep and meaningful relationships that do require intensity. They require intentionality and they require that depth, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about these four different relationship dynamics you have, you could be being perceived in one tier that another person doesn't have you in, and that's their prerogative. But most people don't understand that that's your choice to deem someone deep and meaningful to you, whether they think you're deep and meaningful to them or not. And I know that every day people are fighting for reciprocity in in their relationships, and I hate the idea of reciprocity because nothing in life really works like that. Yeah. It's not, yeah. I called you twice, you're going to call me twice, or I'm in a high season, so you're in a high season, so we're both engaging at the same level. Like You could be having the best season of your life. Your business is booming, things are going well for you, and then your best friend is grieving the loss mm-hmm. of so many things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to be fighting for reciprocity says that this person has to be somewhere that they're not yeah. or have a capacity that they don't have, yeah. right? And so when we understand these things about relationships and that relationships aren't pretty and perfect and cookie cutter and fit in this box that we want them to fit in, then there's a culture established in the relationship dynamic that gives you the freedom to be busy and to not have time and I didn't call and I haven't called in three weeks. And the other person can decide, I can either let the space go because she's busy and she can't call Or I can continue to call and check in on her just so she knows that I'm thinking of her and that she matters to me. I can be filling her bucket every opportunity I have because I've got the capacity and the ability to do that in this season Mm. without having to always expect that she does that for me. And when Mm -hmm. people realize that how you show up in a relationship has nothing to do with the other person, Mm. when they really get that, it changes everything Mm. about the relationship. And it really does give everybody the freedom just to be wherever you are any given day, right? And so I'm just asking you to have a heart combo with me about wherever it is that you are. And so you should feel the freedom to say, I am overwhelmed and busy and I I just don't have the capacity to, to call in to check in right now. And I don't know when that's going to change, mm-hmm. you know, but I want you to know that that's where I'm at. And once you communicate where you are with the other person, mm-hmm. they have an opportunity mm-hmm. to decide. A choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's. That's okay. Like, I understand. If you're okay with me just checking in with you and whatever, like, that's cool. If you're not, for whatever reason you're not, you can say, actually, I would rather you not, you know, call or whatever. If that, again, is is for some reason triggering for you and that and it, you don't feel like that'll serve you, you can say that. But again, if people would just hold their friendships with open hands and know that fruit will come from the seeds that you plant. So like if they, the grace that they are extending you will come back to them in the season where they need it. You get what I mean? And so do what the scriptures tell you to do and treat people like you would want to be treated. Right. And so, and I don't think we have that lens in our friendships. I think we always, we feel like our friends owe us something. We feel like they, they, you know, we have this kind of like audition demand kind of attitude when it comes to friendships and those perspectives of friendships don't really get you closer to the deep, meaningful connections that you deserve and that you want. KB's advice on how to have hard conversations and set those boundaries is exactly what we all need for our friendships to thrive. I love her advice and the explanations she has for how we all see friendships differently. Setting boundaries is a healthy thing. 
I agree, Elisa. Well, before we close out today's episode of God Hears Her, we want to remind you that the show notes are available in the podcast description. There you can also find a link to learn more about KB Newton and check out her free resource to help make friendships less complicated. There are also links to connect with Elisa and me on social. You can find these links when you visit our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you. And he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Mary Jo Clark, Daniel Ryan Day, and Jade Gustafson. We also want to recognize Brian and Barry for all of their help and support. Thanks, everyone. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.